Well, good evening. It is a privilege to be with you again. Yes, I have a lineage of long-windedness, long-windedness in the family, so it comes honest, and I can't do much about it. <laughs> but I don't, hope to not keep you too long tonight. Uh, but I invite you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, very quickly. I love this book of the Bible, Ephesians. It's a very important letter that Paul wrote to this church. It's very similar to other letters that Paul wrote in the sense that it follows a very, uh, I wouldn't say predictable, but it follows a pattern. Uh, If you read the Pauline epistles, you'll notice that he has a pattern to the way that he writes to the churches. Uh, You can see this most clearly, I think, in this letter, but you can also see it in books like Romans or Colossians or perhaps even Galatians itself. Where Paul writes at the beginning with a very firm and a very strong emphasis on the gospel. He writes and explains a lot of doctrine in the first couple chapters. You can notice that in the books like Romans where he goes through and he explains just what it means uh, to have the gospel for you. Just what it means of Christ substituting himself for you as the second Adam if you can read Romans 5 for that. And then he moves into the later half of the book to describe what that truth then means for how we live. What does it mean for the fact of Jesus substituting himself for us? What does that mean and what does that look like in our life? And very similar here in the the book of Ephesians, in the first three chapters, we really have these good news chapters from the Apostle Paul. And in him describing this just incomprehensible love for sinners. That's where we get that awesome sort of doxology at the end of chapter 3 where he writes, And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And he describes that love which he says uh, it passes all the breadth and length and height and depth of knowledge that we can comprehend. It's this type of love that God has for us. This is what he begins describing And this is the root of Paul's message. This is, I would say, the root of the gospel message, the Bible's message, which is this type of love for sinners. But we have to also notice that as he moves into the next couple chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians, that he doesn't ever, excuse me, I keep uh, speaking really loudly into this mic, hopefully I don't scare you again, but maybe that'll keep you awake. Um... The root of this message is never without its fruit. The root of the gospel is never without the fruit that comes after the gospel. Because the gospel never leaves a sinner unchanged. It never leaves a sinner right where they are. Yes, there's that old saying that we're probably familiar with. That the gospel saves you just as you are. And that is absolutely true. But it doesn't leave you as you are. It changes you. It fundamentally changes how you live and how you act and how you walk and talk. And such is what Paul begins to talk about here in chapter 4, where he shifts the conversation to this Ephesian church from the position of the Christian to the practice of the Christian. And that's where we get that awesome verse in chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. That ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. He says, I therefore. 
He's going back, he's hearkening back and making you or causing you to remember everything that he's just talked about. Not forgetting this absolutely incomprehensible love, this unilateral love from God to sinners. Not forgetting that. Not forgetting in Ephesians chapter 2 what it says, By grace are ye saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not forgetting that, but therefore on that basis... What does it do for us? What does it look like to have that work out in our lives? This is this new conversation. And he continues it into our text in chapter 5. I draw your attention to Ephesians 5. Where we'll spend our time here tonight. Without forgetting this love. How does God's love inform our walk? Well it says right there at the beginning. It says be ye therefore followers of God. As dear children. I love that verse because of what it shows. It uses a lot of picturesque language as he says, be ye followers of God. Now followers there is actually a little bit more descriptive if you go back to the Greek, which it really means imitators. So literally here we are being called to imitate God as his dear children. And I love that picture. The picture of a child imitating his parent, her parent. And I think about that with my own children because, um, well, my little girl is a lot often like me in the sense that she is uh, pretty defiant and she's running everywhere. Uh, Actually, that's a lot like my wife. She she used to be like that. I'm just kidding. I'll get in trouble later, but that's okay. but it's so interesting when we've been around family this week, and it's so interesting to have my parents say, oh, that was just like you when you were a child. That was exactly how you are when you were that age. And it's interesting because they're not doing it um, because they are forced. They're not doing it out of any other reason other than the fact that it is almost an impulsive, intrinsic thing for them to imitate their parents. I remember uh, one of my favorite VHS tapes. If you remember what a VHS tape is, that was this old device that you would put into a VCR and you could watch shows on it. It was great. You had to rewind it and it took a long time. If you don't know what that means, you can talk to your grandparents afterwards. But a VHS, one of my favorite VHS tapes was this uh, Michael Jordan documentary. And it was called Michael Jordan Come Fly With Me. And it was just an awesome... just like 80 minute long highlight reel of Michael Jordan and all of his highlights up to that point. I think it was released in like the early 90s. Um, But it was awesome. I loved it. I I think I wore that VHS tape out. But I remember uh, a a little segment from that documentary where it talks about Michael Jordan's most famous habit, which was sticking out his tongue. If you look at almost any Google image of Michael Jordan and he's concentrating and he's going through uh, defenders trying to score a basket, he's most often having his tongue stick way out. And it's always fascinating to me why he did that. In the documentary, it kind of explains that his dad was not only a cotton picker, but he was also a mechanic. And whenever he was concentrating something on something very difficult, something very hard or intricate, his father, uh, Jeffrey Jordan, would stick out his tongue. And so, uh, just like his father would stick out his tongue when he's concentrating on something like a car, so is his son, Michael Jordan, the most famous, perhaps, basketball player ever to live. He's, when he's concentrating, he's imitating his father. He's copying his dad. It's because that's what his dad used to do. He sees it and he copies it. He sees it and he imitates it. 
And I think that's something similar to the way that what this verse means here. In the same way uh, that Michael Jordan kind of looked at his father and just intrinsically, impulsively learned to copy him. The same way, the more that we look at our Heavenly Father, we are to copy Him. And the way we, lo- way we act, the way we walk, the way we talk. As children imitate their parents' mannerisms out of love, so are we to copy Christ's love, however imperfect that copy may be. The command here to be ye followers of God as dear children, and then continuing into verse 2 where it says, And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. This call to copy the Father, is, uh, it is understood that this copying of God is going to be imperfect. We are imperfect souls. We are imperfect human beings. And notwithstanding how perfect our copying is, Christ's command of us is to copy the Lord Jesus Christ. To copy Himself. And we do that. We do that by walking in love. We aren't slaves. We aren't employees. We aren't uh, necessarily uh, prisoners. We don't follow God because we dread some sort of punishment coming down on us. But just like my children and just like your children, they copy us out of love. They copy us because they see us and, we're, and they aren't forced or threatened to. But because they're our children and they love us. And they see our love for them. It is instinctive, it is impulsive, and the more we see ourselves as children, I think the more we will see that this relationship come to play in our own lives. This is our motivation. This is our purpose. We are motivated by a one-way love, as I said earlier, a unilateral love that Christ has for us. That is our foundation of our imitation. So very quickly in the time remaining... I would like to look at two ways we can copy God. Two ways. How do we imitate God in our present day lives? How do we go about copying Christ in an age that is defined by darkness? By, de- defined by anything and everything that's opposed to Christ himself. How do we go about copying him and following him? In a world that is antagonistic towards everything that is related to the Lord Jesus. Well, two quick points I want to make. And the first is this. Don't be afraid of the dark. Look at verse 8 of chapter 5. He says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Following God, copying the Lord Jesus Christ means following Him into the darkness. It means we walk into the dark as children of light, Paul says here. Though this church, this church if you read about the Ephesian church, especially if you read about it in the book of Acts, it was inundated with darkness. It was inundated with strife and struggle. And though that this church was surrounded by that, it was, Paul was commissioning them to, and encouraging them to differentiate themselves as the light. You've been rescued from it, but you have also been called to re-enter it again as the light. Walk as children of light, he says. 
This is not a command for uh, alienation or isolation. Look at verse 7. He says, Be ye not therefore partakers with them, but walk as children of light. He's not commanding them to separate themselves in some sort of uh, monastic type of living. He's saying, don't join with them. Don't partner with their darkness. Differentiate yourselves as the light, as children of light. Don't join in their type of living. Don't join in the things that they are saying is okay. Don't join in what they are saying is good and right. Differentiate yourself as children of light. This is what our walk is supposed to look like. It means entering into the darkness. This is the usefulness of light. The usefulness of light is found as it invades a dark space. And just as Jesus Christ entered our dark world of sin, so are we called to re-enter this same world and showcase Christ's light, Christ's love. As he says in verse 2 again, and walk in love as Christ hath loved us. Loved the very same people who he, as he says in verse 8 again, who were sometime in darkness. This is what you once were. You were like this. But now you are light. Walk as a person of the light. Invade the darkness. Because you are reflecting the Lord Jesus' light. Don't forget where you came from. And this isn't a command to go back into the world. And sort of and join back into uh, what they call good. Or what they call okay. We are called back into the darkness to broadcast this good news. To broadcast the very good news that he was uh, charging them to uphold and preach and publish. To prove to the world that just the vast difference that grace makes. Look at verse 10 where he says. Proving what is acceptable Unto the Lord. This is what our walk is to look like. It is one that it proves to the world. That yes we were once like this. But this is the difference that grace can make. This is the difference that Jesus can make. And you can sense Paul's urgency for this church. Look at verse 14 where he says. Wherefore he saith. Awake thou that sleepest. And arise from the dead. And Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. He's urgently encouraging them to walk this way, to walk in love, to not be afraid of the darkness, to re-enter it again, showcasing Christ's light for a dark world. I think the sense here is, the sense of this urgency, the sense of this command to not be afraid of the dark. I get this uh, picture in my head of a firefighter rushing into a house that's burning. They go there fearlessly. Perhaps they have a little bit of a a sense of uh, afraidness to them. But they go there courageously not to partake They're not there to relax and have a cup of coffee. They're there on a mission. They're there with a sense of urgency and a sense of confidence and a sense of strength. Because they are there to pull out survivors. And it's the same way with us. We've been called to re-enter the world. Walking in light and love for our neighbor to pull out more survivors. 
More brands from the furnace, as one of the prophets might say. And we imitate God in the dark by showing other sinners the same grace that we've been shown. By showing them the same love that we've been shown in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we get that great command in verse uh, 32 of chapter 4. Where Paul says, and be ye kind one to another. Tender hearted, forgiving one another. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You don't have to be afraid of the dark. Because Jesus is with you in it. He is the light that we reflect. He is the light that lights our feet and lights our path. He is the light of the world. That's the light that you carry with you. It's not something that you have of your own. It's not something that you manifest from yourself. The light that you carry with you into the darkness is the very light of the world. It is Christ himself. So number one, don't be afraid of the dark. But number two, secondly, the second way that we can copy God in a world that is filled with darkness is this. Don't get used to the dark. Don't get used to it. You've been called to re-enter it, but don't get used to it. Look at verse 3. Or excuse me, verse 2. And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking. Nor jesting which are not convenient. But rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater. Hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. And then look at verse 11. He says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. We imitate our Father. We imitate our Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, by not letting our light get used to the darkness. I told you on Sunday that I have very terrible eyesight, and that is true. But another part of my eyesight that is quite failing is my night vision. I think what's really cool about the human body and the human sort of just how we are biologically created is that when you turn the lights off, our eyes automatically are adjusting and working to adjust to the new uh, way we see the world. If you turn off the, the light and you don't have a bright phone screen in front of you, your eyes will adjust to that new darkness. And you can see, probably somewhat dimly, but your eyes will slowly adjust. And you'll be able to make out objects so you don't stumble over Legos or what have you. You can make your way to the restroom in the middle of the night. I think that's a wonder of creation. The fact that our eyes uh, have all these millions of photoreceptors that adjust to these low light levels. And then allows you to see more clearly when there's no light source. For me, I have really terrible night vision. It's so interesting that when I take my glasses off at nighttime and I turn the lights off, it's, it's, I can barely see my hand in front of my face. <laughs> it's not good. But anyways... This biological wonder of getting used to the dark, your eyes adjusting, it might be just that, a biological marvel. <laughs> the fact that our eyes, you know, quote unquote, evolved to do this. 
It's a marvel of the creator that our eyes can adjust to the darkness. It's a biological wonder that they can. But I think it's very, very bad spiritual advice. Don't let your eyes get used to the darkness. This is what Paul, I think, was commissioning this church to remind them of the fact that don't let your spiritual eyes adjust to the darkness that's all around you. I know that the days are dark, but don't get used to it. Don't get used to these dark days. He says, have no fellowship with them. You have been remade, he's reminding them in verse 8. Walk as children of light. You were once darkness, now are ye light. Don't get used to the dark. Keep your light shining. Don't let your life be known for those things, as he calls in verse 11, the unfruitful works of darkness. But rather, in verse 9, he says, let your life be known for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Not the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather the fruit of the Spirit. Don't wink at sin, as he says in verse 4. Don't joke at these things. Don't contaminate your character, as he says in verse 3. Those things define the world. Those things define the darkness. This lustful sense of self-indulgence, of doing whatever feels good, of whatever feels right. Don't let that ever be named among you, he says in verse 3. But rather, walk as light. Be defined by these fruits of the Spirit, by love, by deferential sacrifice. By these fruit that God works in you. And we walk in love as the church to expose the world's darkness and to draw them to the light of the world. That's what he means there in verse number 10 and 11 where he says, Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, expose them. Expose their false way of living, their false hopes. Their false joys, their transient dreams, expose them for what they are. Things that will never satisfy, never fulfill. Show them the light. Show them the truth of God's word which fulfills. This is what we are called to do. Living as beacons. Living as Jesus' lights in the world. We reflect the light of the world to both warn and to bless those that are around us. And I think nothing makes God smile as much as his children living to copycat his love and forgiveness for other fallen people. I think as we walk in this world, yes, as imperfect imitations of our Lord Jesus, God is smiling at us as we seek to love and forgive those that are around us. Albeit imperfectly, he is smiling. He is finding joy in that. He's finding joy in the fact that we are making a difference by grace, making a difference in us. Don't let your light go dim, Paul is saying. Don't get used to the dark. No matter how dark the world may get, no matter how far they may stray into the darkness, we stand as light. Look at chapter 6 and verse 13 where he says this. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. That ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. You know uh, uh, there's a really cool feature built into your phone probably. If you have an iPhone. The only phones that you're allowed to have. I'm just kidding. You can have something else. But it probably doesn't work as well. (laughs) 
It's called an ambient light sensor. You may have noticed it that if you have this feature turned on on your phone, when you walk out into the bright, sunny summer day, your phone will have to get brighter because there's a lot more light source coming into it. So it can't, you can't see it as well. So it has to turn the brightness all the way up. But then if you're uh, doing something that's probably not beneficial to you and you're looking at your phone right before bed with the lights off, it dims. Because there's not, it doesn't have to broadcast as much light so you can see it. This sensor adjusts the brightness of the screen based on the ambient surroundings. I think a lot of times, and I speak of myself, sometimes I do the same way with my spiritual life. My spiritual light sensor, so to speak, dims and brightens based on who I'm around. You don't have to raise your hand if you've done that. But based on who I'm around, I may uh, turn up the brightness in what I believe and what I say and what I do. And in other cases, I let it go dim. I adjust to my surroundings. I adjust to what's around me. I think that should, as Paul says, let this never be named among us. Let it never be named among us that we ebb and flow in our walk as children of light based on who we are around. Don't let your light sensor of your soul dim based on who you are with. Uh, stand, as he says in chapter, uh, chapter 6, stand or walk, as he says in chapter 5, as children of light. No matter who you are around, no matter who you are with, this is your commission, this is your calling. As we see the darkness of this world, we are tempted to lower the brightness on our witness so that we live more comfortly. But by doing so, we lose our effectiveness. We lose our uh, ability to uh, testify to the truth of God's word. As the church, we are called to function much like the moon that is in our solar system. The moon has no light of its own. It doesn't have anything that it, on its own surface to uh, project light. It can only reflect what is projected onto it. And I think such is what we should be. People who are reflecting the light of God into a dark world. Reflecting the glory and the grace and the truth of God into a world that doesn't want anything to do with Him. That doesn't want anything to do with what this word says. But no matter how dark it is, the moon always witnesses the sun's incessant brightness. And I think so must we. No matter how dark the world gets, no matter what the world comes up with is right. We stand in the truth of God's light. In the truth of what God has said. Because we are not afraid of the dark. And we're not getting used to the dark. We are standing in the light. Such as what he says in verse 16. Redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. I know that the days are dark. Paul is saying. But don't be afraid. Don't get used to it. Champion. Walk as light. And know that your heavenly father is with you. Know that the light of the world is with you. So I say we. Don't dim our lights. We turn them up. Let's turn up the brightness. 
on our spiritual walk. Let's let the, our, that, that, that little children's song, uh, don't hide your light under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. <laughs> There's a lot of good theology in those little children's ditties. <laughs> and that's one of them. Don't put your light in a bushel. Let it shine. Walk in love. Walk in the truth. Walk in the spirit. Because the spirit is with you. Let's turn up the brightness. Let us pray.